Welcome everyone. We are the MI guys back for another session today. We got Tammy Calais, we got Casey Jackson, our director, and myself, hey. Gilbert. And we will be addressing uh, a really core topic that if you've ever done any training with us, we really dive into. Um, and it's just so core to what we do with motivational interviewing as well. So uh, Tammy, would you kind of lead us in with what, what we're gonna be talking about? Maybe Casey, you can expand from there. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about the power of reflective listening, which I think will be a really interesting topic um, for all of us to discuss and all of you guys to listen to. So, yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll dive in first, I guess, here. Um, one of the things I think is interesting when we even launch into talking about the power of reflective listening I think back to my early days as a counselor or as a student and learning about reflective listening and actually having kind of an opposite experience about reflective listening being powerful. Um, I, I think because even as a student and wanting to be a therapist, being a clinician or being a counselor, when I watched the Carl Rogers videos, who I liked, it just seemed like if a counselor kept repeating back to me things that I was just saying, I would get frustrated. Um, so, and I think because it was so, it felt pre-programmed that when somebody would say like, I'm really feeling depressed and the counselor would say, oh, it sounds like you're really depressed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm not sure what to do from here. Oh, what I hear you saying is you're not sure what your options are. Mm -hmm. It seems like two or three of those kind of reflections and having watched people respond to those kind of things, it almost becomes a joke. Yeah. Um, and when you understand what the nature of reflective listening was intended for with, with Carl Rogers, what he was trying to do is hold up a mirror so people can see themselves. And he didn't want to modify it too much. He just thought it was basically it was the converse of psychotherapy from Freud, which was you lay on a couch, you tell me everything about your life, and I'm going to analyze you and tell you everything that's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Rogers comes along and decides instead of me telling you what's wrong with you, I'm just gonna hold a mirror up so you can't escape yourself. And sooner or later, you're gonna to have to see yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so that was where it came from, but I think the way that it translates in kind of modern culture doesn't translate well. Mm -hmm. What we know is incredibly important in any good communication and fundamental and motivational learning is active listening, which is different than just traditional reflective listening. So we can actively listen to people and let them know we're paying attention. And for me, the kind of the third iteration of that and what I think is of high quality and motivational interviewing is it's not about me thinking so much about active listening. It's about me entering someone else's worldview. Mm -hmm. And so it's more empathetic listening and being able to put words and expression to the thoughts and feelings that individual may have. So I think there's different levels that we can talk about this, but it, for me, when I just hear the power of reflective listening, what I want to steer away from is people thinking that we're talking about reflective listening 101 class. So that, that's just off the top of my head where it's like, okay, I want to make sure that we're on the right track, especially since we're talking about this in parallel with motivational interviewing, that these are some of the things that I think are really critical to tease out the difference between what is it and what is it not. Well, and I think, again, to your point, that's where people's brains first up is essentially just parroting or repeating someone, something right. someone has said. And again, as we're trying to 
discuss and evolve in this conversation, it is so much deeper than that. But again, that's not, that's not where people first think about reflective listening either. Exactly. So that makes well, sense. And to this, this point, we're going to get into, I think here, expanding on the quality. What are we, what are, what's the quality of what's happening is really what we're speaking to, not that a statement is happening. And that's that, that kind of, we just as humans tend to think that black and white uh, sort of thing. And it's like, well, there's a different quality in how you approach reflective listening, a different mindset, a different intention. So that's what I'd like to get into too, is Casey, you taught me um, really deeply for me coming from a more analytical mindset, a more scientific background, healthcare background. It's like I can reflect and get technically skilled and I've heard some really technically accurate people, but it doesn't necessarily land the same way. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about what you helped to teach me around. There's a difference between holding up a mirror like I'm the practitioner or the person um, that's helping this person reflecting to them versus really, as we talk about in our trainings, coming alongside shoulder to shoulder or being inside their skin and their reality and what what if you would just speak to the qualitative difference of how someone thinks about and goes into reflective listening maybe they have to fake it till they make it like i did at first and getting technically skilled but then really what is it like to do the type of reflective listening that really tends to engage people and go deep into unsaid things so what's that like well, I, I think when we think about what is the point, I mean, with any tool, what's the point to the tool? And the point to effective reflective listening or active listening is so the person feels heard and understood. Mm -hmm. And so often what we tend to do is reflect to let them know what we're hearing. And, and that's, those are, again, they're subtle differences, but they are monumental differences on the person that's listening. So again, like in, in Reflective Listening 101, most of us were trained with two basic sentence stems if you're gonna do a reflective statement. Either what I hear you saying, or it sounds like, or it sounds like to me. And when you're thinking motivational interviewing, we are attempting to enter someone else's worldview. We're trying to we're step into their thought process. And what people want to do is ask questions. Well, asking questions is appeasing our own brain. It's not appeasing their brain. We're trying to pull ideas out of their head. In MI with an empathy perspective, we're trying to step inside their reality. Mm -hmm. So to, to talk about, John, what, what you were bringing up with it, what we're moving beyond is what I hear you saying, and it sounds like to me, to step inside their reality. So you can reflect accurately concepts or words or unspoken words and that can be a good technical reflective statement but when you're thinking about entering somebody else's reality i and the equivalence equivalency for me from an empathetic reflective listening place is almost as if you're entering their home mm -hmm. and if you're going to enter their home it's different than standing outside the house looking inside the window and shouting reflections in oh it looks like you're busy mm -hmm. oh it looks like you got some stuff you got to clean up in there <laughs> it's a different reflection than if I'm inside their home, because if I'm inside their home, I was raised to be really respectful when I'm in someone else's home. Mm -hmm. And if I'm inside their experience, the way that I listen is different than if I'm just driving by that house, or if I'm just walking around their yard, or if I'm peering in their window. If I'm inside their house, there's a level of respect and authenticity that I want to be in, which changes the quality of my reflective statements. There's a deeper level of understanding and curiosity. I know one of the things that 
John and I experience a lot when we're training is people will use a, a term that there is no such term, but participants have created a term called, oh, those reflective questions. Um, <laughs> there's no such thing as a reflective question um, that, that I know of. Brain, yeah. There could be. <laughs> but when they listen to some of our, the quality of our reflective statements, it almost sounds like a question. Like saying things like, this is something you've never really thought about before. Um, that's a reflective statement. You're reflecting that this person has never really thought about that before. But when somebody hears it, it sounds so curious mm -hmm. or so inviting to respond, they believe it's a question. That is the quality of stepping inside somebody else's reality. And this is also where we get into strategic reflections. Because what we may do, once we enter someone else's reality respectfully and we're reflecting what their experience is, this has been more difficult than you ever expected it to be. The first thing that we tend to get back from some participants when we talk about this is I'm uncomfortable putting words in somebody else's mouth. That's not what I heard them say. And I was trained to just stick to whatever they said and do some paraphrasing, parroting, rephrasing what they just said. That's what I was trained to do. And it feels really disrespectful to put words in their mouth. And the first thing I say to respond to that is, I agree 100%. It's really disrespectful to put words in somebody's mouth. But empathetic and active listening is putting words to what's going on inside their experience. Mm -hmm. So I am not putting words in their mouth. I'm trying to actually give words, give verbiage to what their internal experience is. And the beauty in that for me is that I don't have to assume that I'm right. I shouldn't even assume that I'm right. I'm making a hypothesis. I think this is what John's feeling. I think this is what he's thinking, but I'm not gonna trust my gut and just say, I've listened to him deeply enough to be able to say, you know what, you really wanna find a solution right now. Mm -hmm. And in the past, nothing's really worked well for you. The beauty in that when you do a strategic reflection <clears throat> that's empathetic, if John feels heard and understood, he's gonna go one of two directions. He, what I always tell people is you're gonna get one of two responses, yes or no, and some version of that. John's either gonna go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm struggling with, blah, 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 blah. So I'll learn about how he thinks. Or he's gonna go, you know, Casey, it's not quite that, it's more about this, blah, 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 blah. Either way, I get better access to what he's thinking or what he's feeling. So again, I'm not trying to analyze John. I'm not trying to shove a mirror in his face. What I am trying to do is put words to his internal experience and almost dissolve me being the one of saying, hey, John, this is what I hear you say, or hey, John, it sounds like to me, because that's an external, then he has to look outside of himself. And what I'm trying to do is move inside his brain and talk from that perspective, and he will give me immediate feedback. This, for me, is those, the power of reflective listening or active listening from an empathetic perspective. And what's amazing is when you're doing that type of reflective listening, the impact it has on myself or the person that you're talking with, they go either to your point, oh my gosh, this person gets me. Right. They understand. And, and it's not like you're constantly having to try and help them understand. Right. You're just going, Oh my gosh, it like you you feel so good in the sense that you go, someone else understands how I'm feeling here. And that's really powerful for them. But then also the byproduct, I don't, you know, it's I don't think it's um 
intentional, not always, but you feel way more connected to that person naturally because you go, again, this person gets me. I don't, I don't have to use all the words that I don't know how to express in an eloquent way about how I'm feeling because they can express it for me in an eloquent, eloquent way of how I'm feeling. You know, and Tammy, there's two things you just brought up that I think are so important. You just organically brought up, it's such a powerful experience. The mm-hmm. whole point of the podcast is the power of reflective listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what you just said mm-hmm. in that process. The other thing that you said that's so important is that when somebody, like you get me, yes. the first thing that I think of when somebody says, oh my gosh, this person gets me, I feel heard and understood. It is literally the first of the four processes of motivational learning, which is engagement, which is when we should be doing more empathetic, active, reflective listening. Yeah. So you can just see, like, it's just such a, a natural way that it unfolds when someone feels heard and understood. It's like, okay, I, I, can, I can speak more. It's also why this bridge is so tightly when we talk about equipoise and managing writing reflex, because if I judge any of that, your walls are going to go up or you're going to push me out your front door. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable with you in here right now. This, this is just, you're making assumptions about me. I think you're judging the stain on my carpet and you're questioning why there's a hole in my wall. Um, and I'm feeling less comfortable. And I'm going to be less honest about that. And I'm going to start pushing you out of my front door. Mm-hmm. So we're going to lose access to that level of um, ability to look at how they're feeling and what they're thinking from inside their worldview. So we can use it to get inside their worldview, but then we have to be really respectful about their worldview when we're in there and continue to reflect. And, and I want you to just think about the difference. And, and I just know the visceral response, Tammy, you'll have to this. Mm-hmm. But if I was inside your worldview and I'm going, well, Tammy, why did you do that? Well, Tammy, why did you hang that there? Well, Tammy, why is that stuff on your, sh- on your shelf? Well, Tammy, why is there that stain on your carpet? Well, how did this thing get broken? Right, it just, the first thing you're thinking is, I, I don't think I can do this for very long. Yeah. Like, I don't want them in my house very long. Like, I can be polite. I can let them sit in here for a while, but they're not really listening to understand. They're listening because they're kind of picking at me to try to find out information that they want. I don't even know what they're going to do with that information. And why do they care why I put the picture up that way? Mm-hmm. It's all these things that question and it generates potentially more discord or tension between the two of us, spoken or unspoken. Mm-hmm. From an MI perspective, when you're going into a deeper empathetic reflective listening, it's like, oh, you know, there's part of you that doesn't mind the stains there, but there's times that it seems like you've talked about that it embarrasses you, um, that there's that stain there. And because you're gonna think people judge you because that's there. And if I say those things, it gives you an opportunity to explain, especially if I've been listening actively to what you're talking about, it helps me understand why things are arranged inside your worldview the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And the less judgmental I am, the more I can keep my writing reflex repressed, the better that is gonna set up for that dynamic to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and one thing to add here that uh, I've noticed with a lot of people and coaching them is they then start to think, well, questions are bad, that we shouldn't ask questions. And the whole point of this podcast is really getting into what you guys were talking about, which is the power of the reflective statements. So I'm, I'm going to lean that back that way, but I want us to be crystal clear. It's, questions aren't a bad thing, but as Casey, you- no, They're a horrible thing. You should not use them ever in motivational interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> You should, the ratio is about 30 reflections to zero questions in a good MI based conversation. But that is to say that you're not, when you're not watching the video, Casey is smiling a big, huge smile right now. Sarcastically. <laughs> That's to say, though, that, that when you um, come in with a question, 
question that hopefully it's going to be powerful and we have others exactly. you know, that specifically talk about evocative open questions and we can expand on that more but the power comes in with what you're talking about is something we haven't said but we we train on it that you put on you know my radar casey and has been helpful for a lot of people it's that a question on a meta level communicates i don't quite get you mm-hmm. whereas a statement as long as it's from equipoise, you don't have this righteousness within you that you're coming at it from. When you make those statements, it's like communicating, I think I get you, you know, I get you. And, you know, one phrase that has helped people sometimes too that I'll, I'll train on is the difference between stating you understand and demonstrating you understand. And stating I get it of going, yeah, I understand. As we've talked about in other podcasts, usually as people go, maybe but not fully you don't get my situation versus demonstrating like you just did for tammy and the potential carpet thing and whatever we're talking about there of the 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 stuff in the background and all that the idea is that you are demonstrating you got something that might be going on for her and that's that's just to say that is such a different way of being than going you know what it it looks like it might be this way and kind of being unsure, not wanting to put words in her mouth, trying to be respectful. And so I just think it's really important to say there's a reason why we're doing it. It communicates that you are not there to judge or analyze. It communicates that you're there to accept and almost dissolve, as you were saying, Casey, into them speaking out loud eventually about their dilemma. But they're not going to do that unless they can trust everything happening and the more you ask questions like you were doing in that kind of question answer trap as it's called question 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 the more it feels like someone's analyzing us or has an agenda and that's kind of the power of this as we're, we're leaning more into talking about it is it removes this sense of hierarchy this sense of agenda so that they get you get it so we can move forward from that place Mm-hmm. Well, and, and let's think about this for a minute about, you know, we're talking about the power of reflective listening. Where do you think the whole construct of reflection comes from? Just fundamentally, where does the, the concept come from? A mirror. A mirror. Yeah. So what do you do before you head out on a date or before you head out in the morning? Look in the mirror. Exactly. <laughs> I don't do that, John, because I don't have any. Um, <laughs> Swipe of the hair. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so what you start to think about is, and why do we look in the mirror? To check to see how we look, mm-hmm. to, to see how we are broadcasting ourselves to the world. And what we can do with words is hold up that person's, what they're projecting internally or externally with a reflective statement. And what's the point of the power of, of good reflective listening is so people can see themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so you're using a mirror strategically. I can hold a full length body length mirror up to an individual and they can look at it but they may miss certain things the power of deep reflective listening is i can hold a mirror at an angle like tammy could think that she looks good going out but then i hold the mirror at a certain angle and she realizes she has toilet paper on her shoe mm-hmm. um, but she didn't look at it. it's a full-length mirror she didn't see that but when i hold it at a certain angle she can see that it's like oh my gosh i never saw that and i'm really glad that i was able to see that mm-hmm. um it doesn't mean that i yelled at her and said hey tammy pull that toilet paper off your shoe Mm-hmm. Um, or, hey, John, your shirt is actually tucked into your underwear, not your, you know, it's like, th- those are things that I can yell at somebody, but that generates a different response than if they catch themselves in the mirror and see that themselves, there's a different response to that. And, and this is what you're thinking about with strategic or the power of really 
smart, reflective listening, a point or a purpose to it. And to, to that point, Casey, again, if you call something out going on with me, you know, hey, Tammy, your shirt's on backwards or you got toilet paper, you know, most likely, especially if someone's in kind of a defensive mood, they're going to be like, I wanted it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new statement. Yeah, that's just how I wanted to wear it. Yeah. But in reality, they didn't. It's just because now they've been called out and they're slightly embarrassed that they don't, they don't, they want to save some sort of face. And so um, anyways, the power of reflective listening is being able to draw that to their attention in a way that feels good to them too. Right. And, and, and what we're doing is we're getting better access to their worldview. And the whole point from a motivational perspective of getting access to their worldview is all things being equal, do they believe their behavior around this topic aligns with their values? Mm -hmm. And if it does, that's good to be reinforced. If it doesn't, then we can elicit and evoke, like John was talking about, what would it look like if it was? What might you do from here? What would that take? So you can see there's so much we can do to uncover and reinforce with active listening. But again, what I want to work towards for the most powerful part of it is not listening for the sake of listening. It's listening for the sake of understanding mm -hmm. and, and not so we're appeasing our worldview. It's so we're accessing that other person's worldview. And, and this is where you're listening to have influence or impact and be able to guide someone to the best outcome. Well, and what you just said there was kind of one of the topics that kind of was rolling around for me that we haven't really explicitly talked about, which is that you can guide with your empathy. Meaning, yes, if someone's frustrated or appears less motivated or is disengaged verbally or non-verbally, uh, lots of resistance talk, blame talk, you know, all that stuff, yes, let's just purely just feel and report what it must be like to be in that reality. But that also means that you can, like you were just saying, Casey, guide towards what they want to see different in that reality. Look out the window of that living room window and be like, you know what, you're not mentioning this thing over here. You kind of got some gray, not funness over here, but you really want this brightness over here. And that's really where you're ultimately trying to go. They may have not said that, but you just ethically influenced it so long as you keep an equipoise and you monitor your writing reflex. So if they disagree, you don't go, well, you did say, or well, the research shows, or well, as soon as you do that, you start slipping out of the power of what we're talking about. It means it can be more powerful to go beyond what they said, either deeper, faster into their reality because you get it so much, and or deeper, faster, and forward in a direction somewhere, depending on your work setting and the time you have and all that. So I think we, we haven't talked about that the power of reflections also relates to depth and efficiency, not just effectiveness for engagement. It can actually guide towards them being who they wanna be just in making statements. And those don't tend to be just, as you said, what they just said. It tends to go beyond what they said. And we haven't been explicit about that either that this is the difference in MI versus Carl Rogers is that you have permission and are encouraged to go beyond what's said, to take it deeper, faster, to really go ultimately more influentially helpful faster as it, as it were. And it's a really powerful, John, you just brought up a whole another thought process for me, but it is really powerful when people are saying, 
you know what? I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want, you know, to, um, I don't want to be tired anymore. I don't want to be sad anymore. You know, what do they ultimately want that you can start reflecting? That they want to feel happy, that they want to feel energized, that they want to feel good about their life. And again, that's a powerful thing too, because I didn't say I wanted to feel good. I didn't say I wanted to um, not be, or, you know, I, whatever. But the point being, you know, they are, these are things that they wanted. They just expressed it in the, I don't want this anymore. And so that creates a lot of power that you're drawing out what they do want from what they said they don't want. Which, which if I may, Casey, that you taught us that we train on so much, it's as simple. If you're really wrapping your brain around this and you're not sure what to say, we train on how do they feel and what do they want? And somehow making a statement out of that with some courage that you could be wrong, but most of the time they're probably going to say worst case, it's not so much that it's more this, or they're going to go, yes, exactly. Or, oh, wow, I never thought about that, but that's true. So if you have the courage and you have the, the motive for yourself, just go, how do they feel? What do they want? And make some statements. And as you practice that, as as my own experience can go to, you get deeper and deeper and deeper into what you were saying, Casey. It's not a reflection of just how they feel or what they want. Now you're in their reality, feeling how they feel and feeling what they want and giving voice to that when you feel it's appropriate to guide the conversation. Which is the core construct of what we talk about with empathy. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and as both of you are talking, the thing that hits me is that, Spider-Man with <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. Um, Voltaire actually from the guy that did Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing that that I think we need to be aware of too, because this comes up from time to time, is we can listen actively to manipulate. We can step inside somebody's reality to manipulate. But if I'm inside Tammy's living room and using it manipulatively, at some point something not good will happen. Mm -hmm. It's either going to do damage to Tammy or I'm going to have to keep on my game to keep trying to use my reflective listening to try to manipulate her, get her to think the way I want her to think. A, that is the antithesis of motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. um, and B, it depends on what outcome you're going for. If I'm trying to make Tammy do something or make her think the way I want her to think, there's going to be natural discord that starts to you know, percolate from that mm -hmm. uh, because it doesn't feel like it's in her best interest. It feels like I'm trying to make it sound like it's in her best interest, but she can read that it's me trying to tell her what's in her best interest, not try to evoke or listen for what's in her best interest. So I think there is so much power in reflective listening. I, I think because I've heard some people tell me like they were trained on how to do that in um, sales or things like that, like, oh, we know how to manipulate people, or you're just, it's motivational manipulation. And I, the first thing I think of is, well, if you're trying to get them to your outcome, fundamentally, it's not motivational, but you may be using a reflective listening. So I think there's those aspects of reflective listening that while we're talking about how powerful it is, it, it can go either direction. And the way we're talking about the power of motivational learning is really from this empathetic stepping inside someone else's worldview, giving voice to what could be going on inside of them. And partly when you give the voice to it, they can hear what they think and, and hear how they feel. You can be 100% accurate. I can be 100% accurate based on what Tammy was just telling me. But when I say it back to her and she can hear it and see it, 
it makes her feel uncomfortable, even though those were the, the same concept she was thinking or feeling inside. It's interesting when it comes out of our mouth and somebody, and we can hear, see it back in our own, in our own vision. It's like, Oh, that really is me. It's like, wow, that, that's not the way that it sounds in here in my head. Like in my head, I've justified this so many different ways, but I guess when I, now that I hear that, it's like, well, no, I wouldn't say that that's, you know, that having a beer with my friends after work is more important than my kids. Even though I do that every day, that's not, that's, gosh, I don't, don't like thinking of it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see how people think that's more important, but my kids are way more important than that. But there's a reason I go have a beer after work every day with my friends. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't like the way that picture looks. I don't like the way that reflection looks, especially if it's an accurate reflection, even though it's exactly their behavior. And this is where, again, the power of active listening and how we hold up reflections can have a profound impact in dialogue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know uh, for the lengths of these, we're, we're coming relatively, you know, to towards the end, but there's some just really powerful things that we've been talking about that I think I, I just want to put on a radar. One is that one thing when we were talking about uh, reflective listening in a recent training, it was this whole sense of like that you're validating someone and you really, there is this sense of validation, especially when they're like, yes, right, exactly. And, you know, and we haven't explicitly said that they're going to teach you with their response, with eye contact, with openness of their posture, no matter on the age, mental health, it doesn't matter. You'll get a sense of how engaged they are with you. Uh, yes, rights, exactly. You likely are in the range there. They're going to teach you, right? We're just so used to validating in a way that's agreement or approval or praise. We're so used to that out in normal society that we, it's just, it's the pattern in our brain. It just fires to go yes or no and agree or disagree. And it's, it, or, oh, I approve that or I disapprove. And I, I think it's really important to be clear in that shift of yes, we're validating this person's reality that's true for them, whether we agree with it or not, and whether we approve of it or not, that it's not about any of that. That's what Casey, you spoke to earlier of being an equipoise, not having the writing reflex. That is the fundamental underlying mindset of where we're coming from, along with it not being used to leverage them towards our agenda. It's being used to engage them, fully feel what they're feeling and guide them towards their agenda. And that's where you have to, in some sort of a way, have a mindset that you're not just being a parrot and you don't get lost in just circles of just reflecting back essentially what's going on and not knowing where to go, but really that there are times to pop out of just their reality into things they aren't saying Mm -hmm. to move the conversation towards things like you said, who are they? And maybe make a guess of, so you, you aren't the kind of person and that's like that. You want to be a kind of role model for your, your kids. They didn't say that. Am I Jedi mind tricking them to do what I want them to do? No, because we know that that person still has the free will to respond, to disagree with us. And then we'll just pivot from there. So I think that sense of agreement, approval and praise that we haven't talked about is just getting out of that mindset. And also I wanted to speak to these barriers that can pop up of the very fact in trainings that we're training people to be more mindful, be more aware of kind of stuff that goes on in conversation that's weird for a lot of people to begin with is now i know somewhat of what's happening when i speak with people so that's just odd Mm -hmm. and now 
now I'm actively mindfully doing something that feels weird. And then I don't want to put words in their mouth. And this is harder on my brain. And it feels awkward. These are all these disincentives to really put yourself in their worldview. But if you can do that and really practice it and get the courage, you'll see for yourself in front of you the change. So long as the last point, it's you being authentically you, not trying to sound like someone in a video, not trying to sound like a particular canned thing. But if you're you and you're with your friend and they've had a tough week and you just say, you know, well, that sucks because you've also had this, that, and the other thing going on, that's empathy. That's conversational, authentically you empathy. And I think that is the power we're speaking to. It just takes us getting out of our head. That's the hardest part. And the emotional part of getting out of our agenda, that is some of the hardest things to do. And I just also wanted to say for an example with that, Casey, you have such a good example at some point, if you feel it's relevant, to share with the customer service call. Um, I think that's such a good example of like what people might be thinking is usually the term that comes to mind always, right? Is frustrated. Uh, yeah. That and like giving people a sense of what that's like, I think could be something helpful before the end of the call. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good way to wrap up because it's such a good illustration. Um, it, it, it struck me in the middle of the training one time, I was, people are feeling like they weren't going deep enough with reflections and weren't actually listening enough and, or they get stuck with like the same five or six or just say, oh, you're confused, oh, you're frustrated, oh, you're upset. And thinking that like, okay, at least I'm getting to the emotional piece. Yeah. And what I, what I thought of that just struck me on how we go deeper with that is just from personal experience. And so the example I used was specifically, you know, years ago when around the holidays, um, Target got hacked um, and, and people were stealing Visa credit cards, you know, information um, from some of the Target readers. And I just thought, and I've talked about this in training, I said, just think about this. So you went to Target, just bought some normal stuff you normally buy at Target. A couple weeks later, it's around the holidays, a couple weeks later, you get your bill and there's $10,000 charged on your Visa card to Target. And you're like, whoa, I did not spend 10 grand. So of course, you get on the phone, you call customer service, and you're like, hey, I did not spend $10,000 at Target. And they're like, uh, well, did you go to Target? And you're like, well, yeah, but I didn't spend 10 grand. Well, you know, it's the holiday season. Uh, maybe you spend a little bit more. We get a little carried away sometimes and maybe you spend a little bit more. Um, are you sure that's not your charges? And you're thinking, there is no way I spent 10 grand. And they're like, you know, well, maybe you want to go through that list and just check to make sure because you may have had more charges other than you remember. And you are done and you just go off on the person. You are just furious. And you're like, you know what? Rah. And they go, oh, it sounds like you're frustrated. Um, <laughs> like, that is a reflection. They're probably by definition are frustrated by definition per what frustration is defined as that is not even remotely how this individual is feeling at that point in time. And so we can use a reflective statement and say, Oh, it sounds like you're frustrated. Um, which is different than if this situation doesn't get resolved, you're at the place where you're going to climb through the phone and deal with this yourself. If you, this doesn't get resolved quickly, that's more of a sense of how you might feel talking that literally can be the source of your reflective statement mm -hmm. which is wildly beyond miles beyond me just saying oh it sounds like you're frustrated 
Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that is such a great way to kind of pull this all together in the power of reflective listening, especially strategic, empathetic, re- reflective listening. And for me, continue to, to move it and evolve it into active listening. More about how the person feels instead of what I'm hearing you say. Yes. More about giving words to what their brain is thinking or what their gut is feeling and, and putting words to that and trying to help the person get more insight in themselves that's the power of reflective listening that we're talking about. That's perfect. Well, thank you guys both for answering. And uh, as always, thank you for our viewers for listening and also sending in any topic suggestions or questions because we're always able to answer them when you send those in. So unless anyone has any other comments to add, uh, yeah, thank you guys for being a part of this today. And we truly are aiming to be the communication solution that's going to change your world. So hope you guys have a wonderful day and thanks again for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.